As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you, Eli. We might have the wrong guy preaching up here this morning. <laughs> I love the fact that I get to work and worship in a community that values and invests uh, in, in its youth, don't you? And even just looking around here today, uh, Eli and guys in the studio, uh, reminds me of the, the story in the, the gospel where uh, Jesus is out uh, teaching and preaching and uh, presumably some parents are attempting to get their children uh, into Jesus' presence for obvious reasons so that he could pray over them. And the disciples intercede, right? Because they think it's a distraction, which we're talking about this morning when God meets us in our distraction. And Jesus sees what's happening, and he steps in. He intervenes. Do you remember what he said to his disciples? He rebukes them. He says, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So it's great as you look around here that we're very intentional about uh, actively involving uh, our youth in, in the gathering and in the worship service. So let me ask you a question. Uh, this is an important question, and I think your answer to it has potentially life-transforming implications. So I need you to listen carefully because it's a little bit of a play on words. And the question is this. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Think about that for a moment. As it relates to your relationship with God, the truth of God's word, Emmanuel, God with us, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Troy's been taking us through this series, and we've been talking about God meeting us, divinity meeting us in our humanity. And he talked about Jesus meeting us in our wandering, Jesus meeting us in our doubt, and Jesus meeting us last week in our regret. This morning we'll talk about Jesus meeting us in our distraction. Is anybody here distracted this morning? I had someone come up to me right before the service, and he said, I want you to know the Packers play at noon. <laughs> a form of distraction, <laughs> a subtle hint. Somebody said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Think about that for a minute. So we've got the Old Testament. God is with us in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's speaking to Moses in a burning bush. God is physically and actively present. Uh, even before that, you've got the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9. He is foretelling the coming Hundreds of years before his arrival, he's foretelling the coming of a king, the coming of a Messiah, the coming of a Savior. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Isaiah had the capacity from God to foretell the future, to prophesize? 
Do you believe that what you believe is really real? That's what scripture tells us. And then he came. Emmanuel, God with us, just as Isaiah had foretold. And I love the passage of scripture and don't let it escape you, the significance of John 3.16, just because you've heard it so many times before. John 3.16 says, we probably could recite it as a group, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Think about that. That is an incre- To me, that's a mind-blowing thing that God would leave heaven to come to earth, fully man, but fully God. I don't totally understand that. I don't really need to understand it because I feel like I understand enough of it to know that that's true, that's believable, that God is present here with us today because of what he did 2,000 years ago. And so a crude example, just to try to illustrate the point, it's, it's analogous to the farmer leaving his house to go down into the, into the pig pen. Okay, I know that's a crude example. It really doesn't do it justice. It's analogous to Bill Gates leaving Microsoft and taking a job at a hot dog stand for minimum wage. You ever really thought about it that way? That God would leave heaven to come and dwell in and amongst us, to, to experience the full pain, the full joy, the full experience of the human condition. Because he experienced the full joy, the full pain, the full experience of the human condition, we're told in the New Testament that when God was preparing to leave earth, after he had rose from the dead, spent 40 days in and amongst more than 500 witnesses, he knew that we had distraction, he knew that we had worry, he knew that we had fear, and he said, I'm going to leave you a helper. I'm going to leave you a counselor. His name is the Holy Spirit. The Greek name for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. Paraclete means that the Spirit is with us. The Spirit's with me here this morning. The Spirit is here in this gathering. The Spirit is in us if you're a Christ follower. The Spirit guides us. The Spirit groans to God on our behalf. The Spirit intercedes for us to God. That's his job. The job of the Spirit is to bring to remembrance the things that God has taught us through his word. So God has given us the Spirit. So we've got the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got the gospel message wrapped up in the life of Jesus Christ. And so do you really believe that what you believe is really real? If this is true, and I believe it is, and it's the purpose for our gathering today, it has life-transforming application for you and for me, and it's fully deserving of all of our time, all of our energy, all of our passion, and all of our attention. A few years ago, um, I served as superintendent of schools in the Howard Summerco School District. I had a board meeting during the night, uh, on a Monday night. I came into my garage and my neighbor, Mark, happened to be there. And you could see that I was going somewhere because I was dressed up. But he could also tell that there was something distracting me at the time. He said, what's up? Where are you going? He said, well, I have a board meeting tonight. And he knows about board meetings because he also works for a business that has a board. And he said, oh, what's on the agenda? I said, well, a couple of issues that you know, are potentially uh, big and uh, potential con- potentially controversial. And so he asked me that question that 
we should be asking each other regularly if we believe that what we believe is really real. He said, how can I pray for you? And in that moment, I think because of the power of the Spirit, my response to Mark was, pray Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And for those of you who know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is one of my favorite verses, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your pathways straight. So I was encouraged by the fact that he said he would pray, and I believed he would. I was encouraged by the fact that I know that God is with us. I was encouraged by the fact that I know that God answers the fervent prayer of a righteous person. I was encouraged by the fact that as I got in my van to drive, the Holy Spirit was in the passenger seat with me. And over and over again, in my mind and in my heart, I was, I was recycling this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your pathway straight. And as I was saying it, I was getting empowered by the truth of God's word and activated by the power of his spirit as I'm driving uh, from my house, which is a five-mile drive to Bayport High School where the meeting was being held. And then it happened. I call it the revelation and the roundabout. <laughs> it's true. I can't make this up. I'm entering the roundabout by the quick trip, Lineville and Velp, right? And it was about dusk, and my headlights were on, and I'm entering into the roundabout, because you have to yield the traffic on the left, right? You know that? And this van comes in front of me. I was yielding to him because I was on his left. And I saw something that I had never witnessed before and I've never witnessed since. And as the lights of my car hit the license plate of the van, what do you think I saw? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Maybe one of you owns that van. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. God, you're talking to me through a license plate? And it wasn't out of disbelief or doubt or disappointment. It was out of joy and it was out of elation and it was out of, wow, okay, you know my name. You love me. You care about me. You intercede for me. Your spirit is with me. You're walking with me. You're my burden bearer. You're my constant companion. And you're willing to come down here and reveal yourself to me on a license plate. And so I entered, I should have followed the, the, the van went into the Piggly Wiggly. I should have followed it in there, but <laughs> just thought, I'm not sure what else is going to be revealed. Maybe I just, just quit while I'm ahead. But so I went to my meeting and I don't even remember what was on the agenda. I think the meeting was great just because I felt this release from my distraction and my worry and my preoccupation because I was able to step away from the hustle and the bustle and the treadmill of life and be reminded of the fact that God is with me. I've got other stories like that, and I'm sure you do too, but that's why we're here. That's what I want to remind you of today. Okay? I want to encourage you, if you're a Christ follower, just know that God is with you. Okay? If you don't know Christ, I want, to, I want to point the way to the cross where you can come into that relationship with him. This is, this is Advent, which means coming. So we're coming up to the Christmas season, and we should be entering in as a body of believers into a real thoughtful prayerful period of time where we get centered spiritually on what is the purpose? What's this all about? What's the reason? Why are we, what are we really truly celebrating as Christ followers? So this is the real message of Christmas right here. And I've been reading this, this devotional, Marilyn uh, teed me off to it. It's from Ann Voskamp called The Greatest Gift. Is anyone aware of 
highly recommend it. Now, usually I don't recommend books, but this is one that's just, man, uh, in my quiet time in the morning, it's just bringing me back to what's truly important in relationship to my daily walk with Christ. And she has this great quote. Let me share it with you. She says, while other creeds endeavor to get us out of the world and into heaven, in Christianity, heaven comes down and Christ comes in this world to get us. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Think about that. That's, to me, that's powerful. That's transformational. That's life-changing. To suffer with us. We find favor only because Christ feels our pain. Fully God, fully human. He totally understands and appreciates all of the aspects of the human condition. Voskamp goes on to say, and I love her, her imagery and her use of words. She says, the present is his presence. Stop there, because that in and of itself, we could just end right now, because I think that's just beautiful. That's the true gift. That's the present. And the greatest present you always have to give is his presence. Well, here's the practical application. Looking into someone's eyes as you listen. I love this statement. Refusing the wrong of rushing. Ever thought about rushing that way? I can't find one illustration in the Bible that describes Jesus rushing anywhere for anything. He doesn't rush. Why are we rushing? Why am I rushing? Why are you rushing? Okay. Think of the condition of your heart when you find yourself uh, in, a, in a frame of mind when you're rushing. Do you feel close to God when you're rushing? I don't. I feel distant. And she, she hits the nail on the head. It's wrong. Lingering long enough to really listen to everything. There is no need for more. The heart is full of gifts that is full of Christ. I think that's beautiful. So God meets us in our overload. He meets us in our exhaustion. He meets us in a, even in our distraction. Okay? I believe that's really real. God's here with us, trying to get our attention. So here's a story to illustrate the point. Has anyone ever built a house okay, with a spouse? <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> well, in the 1990s, I had the privilege of being principal of Pulaski High School. I got to work with 15 department chairs and a board of education and a community to build a high school, a $365,000 high school for $22 million. It's the current Pulaski High School. And this is the high school under construction. And I was the one under construction because I was newly married. I was new to the job of principal. Uh, we had a new baby in our home. We had a new home, our little 900-square-foot home on Park Street. I bought a new Harley. I told Melissa, if I get this job, I'm buying a Harley. Four kids later, it became a preschool payment, so don't cheer too loud. Um, and we're building this, this new school. So distraction, overload, busyness. I probably was never further from God than I was during this time. During a time when from the outside looking in, looked like everything was great, okay? the marriage, the family, the, the job, the Harley, the house. Uh, I was trading or, or pawning God's dream for the American dream. Just think about that. Do we pawn God's dream sometimes for the American dream? 
I was chasing after everything that I thought was going to yield peace and significance and happiness. And I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't satisfied. I was flat out exhausted. I was far from God. I was struggling in my marriage as a husband. I was struggling in my role as a dad, trying to figure that all out. I was struggling with my staff, trying to lead them. Um, I didn't understand what godly leadership was or looked like. I knew about God, but I was far from him. And all this stuff, I call it the, the spiritual equivalent of cotton candy. It all looked great. Okay? It even tasted sweet when I first had it. But the more I tasted, the more I craved it, and the more I craved it, the thirstier I got, like cotton candy. And then eventually I started feeling sick as I ate too much of it. Ever had that experience? You just pursue it and you chase it. You think, this looks good. It's supposed to be good. The more I eat, the more I taste, the worse off I feel. So God met me in my brokenness. God met me in my distraction. God, you know, sometimes, do you know that God will send people into your life? He might not come in a burning bush and um, maybe he'll come through his word or through the power of his spirit or through your circumstances, but God sent a man into my life, okay? A big, bald, beautiful, black brother named Gil Bird from San Diego, California. You don't move from San Diego, California to Pulaski. I just want to tell you that. Okay? <laughs> and I'm looking at this thinking, what is going on here? There were no black people in Pulaski in the 1990s. Okay? I thought, so he moves in with his wife and his two kids, and they take up residence in a three-bedroom duplex for three years as he's working for the Packers. And he meets me in this office almost every Friday morning at 6 a.m., starts teaching me about this person, this God-man named Jesus Christ. It wasn't just his teaching, but I saw it in his life. I saw how he acted as he worked with the Packers. I saw how he treated his wife. I saw how he fathered his children. I had never seen that before. I, you know, I never, people talked about it, but I had never really truly seen it in action, and it changed my life. God sent a man from San Diego, a, a godly man from San, not perfect, but godly, to show me the way. And we got into the Word, and he discipled me, and, and uh, my life has never been the same. I wouldn't be standing on this stage had God not interceded in my brokenness and my busyness and my distraction. So where are you today? Okay. Are you in a state of busyness? It doesn't matter how busy, how distracted you are. You aren't too far from God for him to intercede. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die the most horrific death that anyone's ever suffered. So much he loves you. So much he loves me. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? So I'm going to do something now that I've been advised not to do by my family. And uh, I'm going to illustrate a point using a treadmill. This is my treadmill. It's all dusty on top from lack of use. Uh, we hang a lot of laundry across the front of it. <laughs> And uh, if I fall off in the course of this illustration, I roll under the, uh, this thing here, just leave quietly, the service will be over. <laughs> Jeff, you'll get to catch the pregame show then. <laughs> um, remember when we were talking about Ecclesiastes and Solomon's search for meaning in life? Look at those seven things on the screen. Solomon was searching for fulfillment. Do you remember that? He was searching for focus and fulfillment in life. He called it, at one point, chasing after the wind. 
And so, the wisest man who ever lived, we got to, we got to go to school with Solomon. We got to learn from the wisest man who ever lived, asking the question, what is the meaning of life? Well, you know the story. Solomon chased after physical health. After a while, though, he came to understand that this was just vanity because life is a vapor, isn't it? You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Melissa's 92-year-old grandfather passed away last year. He kept asking the question, why have I lived this long and how did life go so fast? Solomon asked the same question. He knew there wasn't, focus, there wasn't fulfillment necessarily in a long life in and of itself. So he turned it up a little bit. And he pursued knowledge. And he pursued education. Only to realize that it was vanity. It was a vapor. It was a chasing after the wind. Because the more knowledge and the more wisdom he acquired, he said, it, it, it wasn't working. It wasn't helping him fill that empty, God-shaped hole in his heart. So he pursues pleasure, pleasure, and he begins to attend the equivalent of a lifelong fraternity party. You've been to a fraternity party? <laughs> I have. Sad. <laughs> I was the president. <laughs> Sorry, that's a confession. I'm not proud of it. So he takes a swan dive into a hedonistic cesspool thinking, I can anesthetize myself through wine and through song, but it wasn't satisfied. It wouldn't fulfill him. So then he, he pursues work. He builds estates. He builds vineyards and gardens. He buys slaves. I mean, he immerses himself thinking that he would find fulfillment in his work, but it didn't satisfy. He turned it up and he went after wealth. He had more gold and more silver and more flocks and more herds than, than anyone in the ancient world. He was wealthier than Bill Gates and all the billionaires today combined. It didn't satisfy him. So he thought, I'll really turn it up. I'll try sex. 700 wives. Man, I can't keep up with one wife in the front row here. Okay, good Lord. So, it was, it was a chasing after the wind. And then he thought, well, fame. Fame is the answer. I'll turn it up some more. Nobody was more famous than Solomon. And they came from all over the world to enjoy his wisdom and to sit in his council. And then, he stopped. What's distracting you today? How about youth sports? I almost had youth sports on there. Her families aren't here today because they're at some tournament in some city and they're driving themselves crazy, spending thousands of dollars to attend these tournaments. I had a friend who told me recently, he's got a sixth grader. He was asked, are you going to commit this year or not? Because we're going to Minnesota, we're going to Ohio and Indiana and Illinois. And if you're not in, then your kid can't be on the team. That's not right. Okay, we've lost our perspective as a society. Um, I don't know where you're at today, but um, we need to stop. We need to pause. We need to catch our breath. And Solomon finally does that. <laughs> Pun intended. 
Solomon finally does that in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. He said, I've tried all this stuff. Doesn't satisfy. It's cotton candy. Stop eating it. He said it comes down to this. He says, fear God and obey his commands. Okay. Do we really believe that what we believe is really real? Are we willing to fear God and obey his commands? I think we look like this to the outside world as Christians. We're supposed to be soldiers for Christ. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy. He says, endure hardship like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. So we're equipped for a spiritual battle that's raging. You can read about it in Ephesians 6. We're loaded. We got all the weaponry we need. We got the Holy Spirit walking with us. You got power beyond your mind's ability to even conceive. How much power is at your disposal? And yet I think we're we're chasing after so much good, even good stuff that is the enemy of the great. I think in the course of doing that, when we get exhausted and distracted, we drop our head. And I was taught as a football and a wrestler, never drop your head uh, in live battle because you're going to get hurt. When your head goes down, you're going to get paralyzed. Your head goes down, that's when you're getting attacked. When our head goes down, look what happens to our posture. Okay. We lose a, a position of, of strength, and then the next thing that happens is our weapons go down. Okay, and now we're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, all because we've allowed ourselves to become distracted. I wonder what God is thinking as he watches us race and jump on the treadmill heading up to Christmas. And I talked to someone last week, a superintendent, I said, how you doing? Got all my shopping done. Like, that was the crowning achievement of the season. I'm like, okay, it's great. It's exciting. Um, I, think God, I think God can use us over here. I think God wants us to be in relationship with him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I know a lot of moms feel like this, don't you? Can I get a witness, moms? Is there an amen in here? Well, my wife does as we stand around and watch your work sometimes. Okay, another confession. Um, the psalmist said this in Psalm 46. He said, be still. It's really hard for some of you, isn't it? Just for me to pause and the silence is deafening to you because you're not used to being still. You want to turn on the radio and you want to stick something in your ear and you want to check your tweet and you want to log on to Facebook and you want to have the next social media high. So do I. That's my problem. Okay, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Hmm. can't hear God's voice over the hum of the treadmill. It's too loud. God comes to us with a still, small voice. That's how he came to Elijah. Do you remember that? In the desert, Elijah was just like, God, Jezebel's got a, a hitman out trying to kill me. I know I just won the showdown with the prophets of Baal, and you sent fire down and consumed this whole area. 
But he got discouraged and he got distracted and Jezebel was there. He went, he went in and hid in a cave. And then God sent the wind and just shattered the mountainside. But God wasn't in the wind. And God sent a tornado. Think of the awesome power of a tornado. But God wasn't in the tornado. And then God sent fire. God wasn't in the fire. And then there was this still small voice. And God came to Elijah and sent an angel to minister to him. Tell him to get up, eat something. Sent some others to help him. This is, this is, the, uh, this is the current state. I want you to read this. I'm going to ask you to respond to it. So on a scale of, this is called fist to five, it's a little educational technique. So if you can relate totally to this, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and give it a five, partial, somewhat, so forth and so on. If, this, if you're in total peace here this morning and you just think I'm some whack job who, you know, they, they grabbed a, as a late minute replacement for Troy, and give, me, give me a fist. And email Troy, please don't email me. Uh, so where are you at with this? And don't be embarrassed. I mean... That's why we're here this morning. I, I want you to give an honest assessment of where you're at. Five, you totally relate to this, so forth and so on. So raise your hand. Just give me a, keep it up. I want to kind of measure the, the group here. I see a lot of fours and I see a lot of fives. Okay. All right. And that's not a cause to be discouraged. That's just an honest assessment of where we're at. When we start with an honest assessment of where we're at, then we can do something about it, right? So... It takes us to our story. I love this story. You've heard it before, right? It's the Martha and Mary story. If you have your Bibles, open to Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Eli did a wonderful job of reading it for us. And this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die, and he knows that. And he decides to stop at the home of a friend's. I'm not sure if it was an announced visit or not. He's got between 12 and 70 people following him. So it's not just Jesus. This is a village two miles east of Jerusalem. These are friends of Jesus. And I take heart in knowing that Jesus had close friends. Okay, he's on his way to die. He, he, he really goes there to be ministered to, in a sense, even though he imparts a lesson there. Uh, we can't choose our foes, we can't choose our fans, but we can choose our friends. Jesus chose Martha, the oldest, Mary, her sister, and Lazarus. This is before Lazarus uh, died, by the way. And so uh, Martha, let's talk about her for a second. Uh, the tendency is to make Martha the bad one and Mary the good one. It's, it's an oversimplification. The fact of the matter is we're probably a combination of Martha and Mary, depending on the situation at hand. But generally speaking, Martha is Martha Stewart or Betty Crocker, okay, or a combination of those two. She is into practical service. Uh, she is into... Uh, uh, serving through hospitality, and in a sense, that's beautiful. Her sister is really more into worship and devotion and sitting at the Lord's feet. So the point I want to leave you with here today is that we're living in a Martha world, right? It's about timelines and deadlines and projects and bottom lines and you know, making a profit and getting the job done and accountability. So that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but as Christ followers, we're called to enter into the Martha world with a merry heart.
So we need to have Martha's hands, but we also need to have Mary's heart. And it's too easy to read this and see that Jesus was condemning Martha and praising Mary, and that's an oversimplification of the story. So with that as our context, Martha is here serving, Mary is listening. We'll get into the story that Eli read for us. I'm gonna ask you four questions here on this slide. I'm going to give you three statements on the next slide. So if you're into note-taking, that'll help get you ready. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. I love that. Hospitality. There are good qualities of Martha here that are showing through. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. What was she doing? She was listening. First question, what attracts you to Jesus? You thought about that? What really attracts you to Jesus? I think about um, Matthew 11. I love Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus describes his character. Okay, so it's the gentleness and the humility of Christ's character, the loving kindness that I've come to really respect, admire, and appreciate as I've entered into this relationship with him over the last 15 years. What attracts you to Jesus? So she was listening, and Martha, but Martha was distracted. Here's the big but, verse 40. Um, what was distracting her? You see what was distracting her, but here's the question. What distracts you from Jesus? I get distracted by work. I think men are unique in this regard. It's not a, it's not a uh, universal principle, but when I wake up in the morning, my mind goes right to work. Left to my own devices, I'll get out of bed and I'll start working at 4.30 or 5 a.m. in the morning. And so through the series that Troy took us through and through the Mark Batterson um, uh, book that we read, Draw the Circle. Batterson has a quote in the book. He says, the shortest distance between you and God is the distance between your knees and the floor. So I've tried to begin each of my mornings. As I wake up, I try to go right to my knees. If I don't go right to my knees, I'll go to the coffee, I'll go to my backpack, I'll go to the weather channel, I'll go to my email, I'll go to, you know, just fill in the blanks. And so I need to start my days on my knees. If I don't, my whole day is distracted. Okay, I want to start by giving God my first and my best on my knees at my bedside. Melissa is usually sleeping. I'm praying over her. She's snoring sometimes. Uh, I don't let it distract me, though. <laughs> so it's a posture. It's, it's, again, this isn't, this isn't work or worship. This is worship before work. When I worship first, my work becomes an overflow of my worship because God is with me, right? I've got the Spirit with me. Hey, he knows I need his help because left my own devices, I'm going to mess it up every time. But if I don't start here, I'm, I'm really going to mess it up. I need to start here. I want to encourage you to start in a posture of worship and prayer every morning. So the big idea here is Jesus first, okay? Jesus always. So if we go on then, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? I love the fact that they had the type of relationship where Martha could be just brutally honest with God. On the one hand, I appreciate that about her. On the other hand, I find myself thinking, 
Yeah, he cares so much that he was willing to stop there to minister to your family on the way to the cross. That's the same thing he does for you and for I every day. Lord, don't you care that I've got this coworker who's a jerk? Lord, don't you care that I've got more month than I've got money? Lord, don't you care that I'm sick or my loved ones are sick? Lord, don't you care? Fill in the blank. Ever find yourself doing that? Self-pity is self-destruction. Okay. Where is your focus and what's distracting you? She's really doubting Jesus. And doubt's okay. Troy talked about that a couple weeks ago. I'm not condemning doubt. I love the vulnerability of Martha in this case. I also think we need to step back. And it took me a long time to come into a point in my relationship with Christ where I didn't doubt his capacity to forgive me for my sins. I don't know why, but I struggled with that. Could he really, truly forgive me? Okay. Did he really see what I was doing okay. in college and after that? Okay. Remember I was in the fraternity? <clears throat> and so you can't truly embrace the totality of Christ's love until you come face to face and through the power of his spirit overcome this issue of doubt. Okay. And when, I, when I came to more fully appreciate this thing called grace, unmerited favor, I knew that I didn't have to earn it. I couldn't earn it. I knew it was a free gift, right? And he was giving me the gift. It's the greatest gift. He's reaching it out. But when someone offers you a gift, it demands something from you in return. You need to reach out and take the gift. Friends, God is offering you a gift this morning. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with him. Okay. He's holding it out. He's not going to force you to take it, though. That's so why he was not going to force Martha to take this gift. He doesn't say, Martha, pay attention. Can't you see what Mary's doing here? He lets Mary come to him, and in her honesty and in her doubt, she confronts him. And it was then that he ministers to her in a gracious and loving way. And then she tells him what to do. Tell her to help me. <laughs> we told the God of the universe what to do. I have. Not a really great approach. I think God is more interested in our holiness and our character than he is in our comfort and our happiness. You know what motivates my requests most of the time? My comfort and my happiness. Rather than praying, God, get me through this ordeal, I say, God, get me out of this. Okay, not recognizing that he needs to send me through this to refine me. James says that, right? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of any kind because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So that Pulaski High School thing, I needed to go through that. I'm not standing here today without, without that pain, without that brokenness. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Okay? So what motivates your requests? Is it wanting to grow in God's holiness and in his character, or is it wanting to have more of your own personal comfort and happiness? So this is the way Satan works. Very predictable. See the steps? This is the steps down into the pit. Down, 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 down. Satan is a thief. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. And this is his strategy. You see it in the garden. You see it with Elijah. You see it with Moses. You see it with David. He comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to destroy your relationship with Christ. And he's really tricky. He's really subtle. He's very sneaky. He doesn't make it obvious. For me, he, he puts it in the form of work. Damien, 
here's some more work. Okay. This is important for you to get this work done. It's important for you to get this project done. Okay. I don't know how you get tempted, okay, but for me, it comes in the form. And then I get distracted, and then I get discouraged, and then I start doubting God. Okay. That's a bad spot to be in. So here's the turning point in the story. I love this. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, do you know that God knows your name? He answers Martha. Do you see that? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. He answers Martha. It's a gentle rebuke. Remember, Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. Damien, Damien. Okay, listen to me. Look at me. Give me your attention just for a moment. Look at my eyes. Okay, you put your name in there for Martha and Mary. See how it works for you. Because that's what God is asking you to do. Hey, okay. Hey, I know about this. Forget about that. Look at me, God is saying. No, no, forget about that. Look at me, God is saying, in a humble and gentle way. Jesus longs for relational closeness with you. The psalmist said, Lord, you have searched me and you know my heart. Wow. God not only knows your name, he has searched you, your mind, and he knows your heart. To me, that's comforting. The question isn't, is God close to you? No doubt about it. The question is, are you close to God? You're worried, you're upset, but few things are needed. Only one, indeed. Jesus invites our focused attention. You ever feel like you're being nibbled to death by ducks? Kind of on your heels, you kick them off, like, get away from me, and they're distracting you, and they're following you. I don't know what the ducks represent for you, but... Okay. Jesus doesn't want to be number one on a list of one. He wants to be or number one on a list of ten, rather. He wants to be number one on a list of one. Okay. That doesn't mean that we stay at Jesus' feet all day. It means we start there, and then from there, we enter into the world of Martha that's all around us. So Mary chose what's better. He doesn't condemn Martha for her service, right? He just points out the fact that, you know, on a scale of good to better to best, Mary has chosen what is best. And so I love the fact that Jesus gives us the power of choice. He extends free will to you and he gives it to me. He's not going to kick your door down and say, hey, you're too busy. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Between stimulus and response, God's given you the power of choice. You can help or you can hurt. You can pray or you can curse. You can be happy or sad. You can believe or you can doubt. Every moment of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, you're constantly faced with the power of choice. And left to my own devices, I'll mess it up every time. That's why I'm so grateful that I've got this helper, this counselor, that Christ came and he can identify with my condition. He was here. He gets it. He totally understands. Lord, don't you care? If only we knew how much he cared. If only we stopped long enough to think about how much he's cared and what he's done for us. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? So here's the deal. Jesus is coming to your home today. Did you know that? Is he going to find you attracted to him or distracted from him? Choice is yours. He's given you a helper. He's given you a plan. He's given you his word. 
I was really struggling at the end of the summer. I met with a friend. And he said, well, how can I pray for you? And I, I was giving him this, this answer, you know, pray for wisdom. And in the middle of my response, I just started laughing. I'm like, I'm just giving you the phony Christian response. I'm just, I'm blabbing. I said, I don't know what you need me to pray for. I'm distracted and I'm overwhelmed with some things at work right now. And I felt like I wasn't close to God, but I didn't know how to articulate that in a prayer request. And I said, let me get back to you on that. And the next day, God revealed it to me. He said, Damien, come closer to me. That was it. I didn't hear a voice. There wasn't a burning bush, but through his spirit, I, I, you know, I, the sense was God was saying, just come closer to me. Okay, you're distracted and worried and upset about a lot of stuff. And so that same week, I went to the Global Leadership Summit, and Bill Hybels was speaking, and you know, God is so good. He comes to you right when you need him at the right time. And so Bill Hybels talked about this topic, Simplify, 10 Steps for Uncluttering Your Life. And I bought the book, and I finished it this week because I knew I couldn't talk about it without having read it first. And there's 10 steps that Hybels gives for uncluttering your life and simplifying. And I've been on a journey since this August to try to, um, to, try to come into relationship with God. And it's, it's practical and it's useful. And this message today is only giving you a sliver of what's available to you in the book. So I usually not want to recommend books, but if you're looking for a way to put into practice the things we're talking about today, if this is resonating with you and you want to take some steps as you look to 2015, rather than finding yourself in the same seat 365 days from now thinking, oh man, I did it again. My life's out of control. I'm on the treadmill. I just talked about this and a year went by and I'm Take action on it. Ask God to help you. This is one of the steps that Hybels talks about, going from distraction to f- distracted to focus. Will Gatling talked about this a few years ago. Do you have a life verse? A life verse will focus your time and your energy and your attention on the things that matter most. We've got one in our living room at home as a family. We have a family verse, LaCroix. Here's what the life verse will do, first of all. Uh, reflect God's particular guidance in your life because he's given you an assignment. Did you know that? God has an assignment for you. Remember the parable of the talents? Okay. There's three people that got the talents from God at the end. Two of them get commended. Well done, good and faithful servant. The last one doesn't get commended. That concerns me a little bit. I don't want to be like the last individual in the parable of the talents. So I want to have more concentrated focus this year on what God is calling me to do, not what I'm calling myself to do. And so I'm encouraging you to think about the book. I'm encouraging you to, to think about a life verse. This is the life verse. We got it on the wall in our living room in uppercase living. It's Colossians 3.23 and 3.24. Whatever you do, okay, some people say they're confused by God's word. Okay, this seems pretty clear to me. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. So when I remember that, during the treadmill moments, I get off the treadmill. In fact, when I remember that, I don't get on the treadmill. And so I'm encouraging you to pray about how God might enter into your life in this season of distraction and busyness. And a life verse is just one thing you can pray and think about. As we go to response time, just want to get quiet with you a little bit. I want you to know that you know that you know that you know that God is here, that he's for you, 
that he loves you unconditionally, so much so that he sent his son to be here with us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand right now, right here. Stop waiting for it. John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. They didn't say wait for the kingdom of heaven. They said the kingdom of heaven, friends, is at hand. God is with us. And I love this passage from Revelation 3.20. could be a life verse. I'm not sure, but it goes like this. Jesus says, here I am. Think about that. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and him with me. God loves you so much. He's not going to kick the door down this morning, but he is knocking at the door. Can you hear his voice? If you hear his voice and you open the door, he's going to come in your life and you're never, ever, ever going to be the same. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. So as you go to the cross this morning, just let me pray, Father God, may we not rush to the cross, Lord. I know the Packers are coming on. I get it. I like the Packers too. Uh, But I love you more. And uh, I want to be where you're at, God. Uh, I want to worship at your feet, and I want that worship, Lord, to overflow into every other area of my life. Lord, I pray for those here this morning that uh, are distracted, Lord. I pray for forgiveness for our distraction. Mm. So sorry, Lord, that I've put lesser things first. I've, I've chased after strange gods, cotton candy. I've eaten it to the point of sickness, God. I don't want any more of that. I want more of you. So forgive me, Lord, for that. And I pray that you'd make clear to me and to everyone seated here this morning, Lord, what you'd have us do in the days leading up to recognition and celebration of the birth of your son. Moreover, God, I pray that you'd reveal to us maybe a person that we could invite to Christmas Eve who doesn't know you. Maybe we're discouraged, Lord, and distracted. Okay, I just pray that you'd, uh, wow, uh, you'd remind us of who you are and how great your love is for us, God. And as we go to the cross this morning, I just pray that that would be more real than ever before. Oh, you're so faithful. I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done. We love you, Father. Uh, It's in the mighty name of your Son we pray. Amen.